Blog Talk Radio. Like, give me your thoughts on that. 
and now really, really more so than anything that I've learned about Michael is I knew he had a like a drive about him, but I didn't know that it was right. such a singular vision. Like the the thing the, right. the thing that really stuck out with me was after he retired after the first three Pete and went to baseball, he comes back with what seventeen games left, thirteen games left, or something like that of uh, the season mm-hmm. because he thinks he can steal a championship. Like that's that 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 was the mentality. It was like okay, I've already done three. You know, nobody's going to beat me. Okay, cool. I'm going to go away for a little bit. Oh look. Some expansive teams have come in. The league's watered down. It's really weak. I can just take the year off, come in, warm up, and then steal a chip. Well, Shaq and Penny had something to say about that, but, you know, such is the way things go. He comes back even stronger the next year. Like, it's just Mm. the the Mm. drive to win is singularly insane, honestly. Yeah, I mean, his his competitive competitive force, nature – was the stuff of legends, and for me to see that again was equally as breathtaking. To say your word, because I've never seen anything. We love sportsmen, haven't seen anything like it. So to see that, to see how competitive he was, whether it was playing cards, golf, it was just insanely, unusually competitive. Uh, Kevin, what's, uh, what's your take home from the first four parts of the last dance? Uh, yeah, I think um, I've really enjoyed watching him um, uh, up until now, and I look forward to uh, the second half of the series coming up starting Sunday night. Um, but I think for me, uh, just a, a few key takeaways. Uh, I know Jordan had said before the series started that people were going to hate him after it, and I can right. see why he said that, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's hate. I think that we see maybe uh, to a larger scale uh, his humanity, um, and, and part of that okay. being his drive maybe to a fault, but, um, I know this past week they touched on, um, his gambling. Um, I thought, uh, some, uh, David Aldridge made a, made a great point though. He said, you have to remember if, uh, you know, if Michael Jordan bets $10,000, it's like us betting $10, you know? So, um, but they touched on those types yeah, of things and, and um, right, right. But then the, um, the rivalry, um, just with the GM and ownership and, and Jerry Krause and um, seeing him tease Krause. And I think that, uh, I think that, yeah, I think we've seen more of his, his humanity. I don't think there's anything that I've seen that would necessarily make me hate him, but I could understand his insecurity going into that because we we've seen him, I, th- I think to a larger scope. Um, a couple of really cool things that I've enjoyed, though, um, in the series yep. uh, thus far. Uh, really liked seeing the whole the whole um, synopsis of how the shoe deal with Nike went down. Um, that, that was featured yeah, uh, in one um, one of the episodes this past week, and just that line that you know Adidas said, "By the end of year four, we sell three million dollars worth of shoes." We think that we've been successful and I think his agent said by the end of the first year they had sold 128 million so um yeah those types of things are cool um it was cool getting to see 1980s Jordan because as a kid I really only saw 90s Jordan growing up so it was, it was cool getting to see um him come on to a team that was uh really a, a laughing socket within the NBA and 
Um, hearing about oh, the terrible. GM, yeah, like the GM feeling almost forced to draft him, hearing that they they almost traded the pick, but then, um, you know, they were happy that he taken him. Right. Right. They were happy he'd fall into their laps, but at the same time, you know, Biggs ran the NBA back then, and it's just crazy that a talent like that right. would go three overall. But um, uh, but then just seeing um, seeing the struggle that he had to go through, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 80s um, as he fought um, just the stellar Celtics and, and Pistons teams in those eras. And I think, um, you know, I think that those definitely probably molded him into – uh, a champion in the nineties, you know, uh, going through that grind. Um, cause he wasn't going to see anybody like that in the nineties. So, um, just getting to see him younger, um, see the humanity and the faults behind him, uh, because he has been built up so much as a God. And then, um, just the cool anecdotal things like the shoe story. Those have been all the, the things that I've enjoyed so far about the series. Quick, you know what, quick, man? about like the production oh, yeah, of the, the yeah, series itself. The fact that they, like, show, like, on the iPad and stuff like that, how they'll show, you know, one person's response to Jordan and him not knowing what they said or whatnot and then seeing the way he responds to it and reacts to it, that's actually really cool because you don't – that's not something you usually see out of somebody is, like, in in a documentary like this is just the pure adulterated, just, like, just – Wow. Okay. You, you know what I mean. Just like just being stunned at certain things and laughing at other things. It's that's that's a real interesting thing. And as well as the uh, book that Sam Smith wrote, uh, the Jordan Rules. I actually am gonna yep. buy it and read it now because I did not know. It's it's the the way the the way it's been spun is that that kind of had a really big effect on the second three-peat. So I really want to kind of go through and kind of read that and see exactly what it was like, because before that book came out, nobody really knew that Jordan was, I mean, for all and for lack of a better term, Jordan was a bit of a prick as a teammate. So I just want to kind of get a, a deeper dive into that. Well, uh, I was going to say, I, mean, you know, I was you know, doing a you know, how fascinating it was. I mean, it's hard to believe that Nike was once upon a time the new kid on the block, so to speak. I mean, they were mm-hmm. typically track. They were, they, they were a track brand. And, you know, to see that, first of all, if you're Adidas or actually Converse, how stupid do you feel knowing that Jordan mm-hmm. wanted to be with you all? Instead, they, they, they had, and I'll blame him for saying this in retrospect, but they had like because they were maxed out. I guess with with, with endorsees like Bird, endorsers like Bird, uh, uh, Magic, Isaiah. You know they had a roster of, of, of superstars back then. So, but I'm just thinking. I, I'm just wondering what 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 the hell Converse is thinking right now. Is like what in the hell did we do? How did we fuck that up? Basically, well, <laughs> like how do we let Nike get that? Would you see that as 2020 vision, you know, hindsight yeah. is 2020, but would Converse, would Adidas, even Puma, would any of those, they were, they were the big players back then, would they have, would they have thrown the money at the advertising campaign like, like Nike did? Like Nike went all in on Michael Jordan and it worked. Yes, it did. So there, I mean, there is yes, a little bit of luck there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you to, to your point, yeah, that's why I mentioned earlier, earlier rather that, I mean, uh, not Adidas, but Converse at the time was maxed out with superstars. You know, mm-hmm. 
Dr. J, I think Jay was a Converse guy too, so he was in the midst of his prime. So, I mean, yeah, to your point, of course. It's just that, to your point, looking back at it now, I mean, if, if, if Converse had like a, a, a crystal ball <laughs> and saw where Jordan would eventually have become, then, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, but kudos to Nike. They were they 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 were the new kids on the block, and they throw us out the box. And Air Jordan, few Air Jordan brands later, here we go. Uh, the Jumpman and you know everything else. You know the pictures that they took of Jordan, like doing the Jumpman, like uh, like a um, logo, if you will, like going for a dunk. It was something else. But one thing, man, and and I and uh, I'll I'll throw this to Kevin this time is how bad. Did they make the Pistons look, especially Isaiah Thomas? I mean, they. I mean, Jordan. It's something that Jordan is held grudges are legendary, but damn, he still hates Isaiah Thomas. I mean, that that, that cracked me up a little bit seeing that. Yeah, I mean, in to your point, as as far as making them look bad, it created such a buzz on social media in 2020 that Isaiah Thomas came out and issued an apology. You know, for I think for the handshake thing you know, on, on yeah, media this year. And, and it's like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 the feeling like he had to do that, I think, I don't know, part of me thinks that's kind of silly. Um, but I understand maybe wanting to, to make amends uh, with MJ and, and public persona. But, um, but yeah, um, I mean, they're definitely built as the, as the villains in the series. And, um, and uh, you, you can tell even to this day, um, if if hate's too strong a word, I don't know what word to use. That that Michael Jordan has that in his heart for for Isaiah Thomas, and uh, just when he in, in the segment talking about the dream team, when he said they called me and asked me if I was going to be on the team, and I said, well, who's going to be on the team? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, who's going to be on the team? And and they said, well, who you mean is not going to be on the team? And uh, and it's like so he never says Isaiah's name in that whole sequence, but implies that they know he's talking about Isaiah and that he is talking about Isaiah. Um, you know, I know. It's not a well-cut uh, secret. Right. And, like, and Isaiah, uh, you know, the Pistons were really good back then. And Isaiah beat the Pistons, or excuse me, beat the uh, Celtics and uh, beat the Lakers and had ends with, had it out with Larry Bird, had it out with Magic Johnson. And, um, and I think, Unfortunately for Isaiah and the Pistons and their uh, bad boy image, um, you know, ultimately it, it come back to bite them in in this documentary at least. I don't necessarily think how it was an image. It was well deserved. They were <laughs> physical. Physical, I guess, is the word I'll use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that bad thing you could play football in the NBA more so in the nineties, but. I mean, I mean, stuff that the Pistons did. They no, none of them complained today, you know, because of the, of the handshake rules and everything. And you, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you can't approach a player within five, a few inches and, and, and not even pass gas and not and get and not get a foul called on. <laughs> but but to Kevin's point, bros, I was like, what are you doing, Isaiah? Like as far as him like making the rounds of apologies, I would be like Bill Lambeer and just on it. So yeah, we didn't oh. want to shake their hand. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. called us dirty. Yeah, we think they were sissies. Yeah, we thought they were punks. 
We still think they're punks. Only because no one's buying the apology. Not many people I know buying the apology. I'm sorry. Again, I understand Isaiah wanted to do so and why, but just do like Lambie and probably the rest of the bad boy pisses and just own it. Just own it. Yes, I'm 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 completely right, right. with you there. You're the bad boy Pistons. In the annals right. of NBA history, you are you're not just known as the, the you know, nineteen eighty nine Detroit Pistons. You are known as the bad boy Pistons. Just own it, man. Right. Yeah, the two time champion bad boy pistons. I mean, yeah, just just own it. Um, one last thing we'll touch on, gentlemen, um, before we get into the the best of Tim Duncan. Um is you know, I, 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 first of all, I like the overall scope of this documentary. I mean, yeah, I thought I asked as an unseen footage, I asked as the last season together, the last championship season together. But I like the way they made it to like a Michael Jordan slash Scottie Pippen slash Dennis mm-hmm. Robbins slash documentary. You know, just touch upon each of the stars, right? I'm glad it's about the Bulls and not Michael Jordan. What was that? I missed that. Sorry about that, Buzz. I like. I'm glad it's about the Bulls and not Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. a wholly uh, um, um, Michael Jordan biopic, if you will. It's about the Chicago Bulls championship runs, how they were built, and everything else. Um, but oh, I, I like like um, everything, like making the Pistons the villain. To they touched upon my Knicks this past weekend of them being on the come up. You know, like challenge. A big mm-hmm. charge to the um, to the uh, Bulls three P. That's the, the like the, like the like like the, the uh, third mm-hmm. season of that three P. Um, and, and I like how they touched on that. But it brought back bad memories of me as a Knicks fan because of that one guy, that damn Charles Smith. I, I I do not like that guy to this day. I know hate's a strong word, but it's pretty damn close to how he <laughs> threw that game. Pass the ball to Ewing on the wing. Pass the ball to him. He didn't go up. He's due to six foot ten. How could he not dump the ball? At least draw a foul. Or just pass the damn ball. Don't just put a just put up a layup and be bought like five or six, seven thousand times. Ah, oh, that's what blue that said. I was so mad watching that. I still, I my blood still boils. Well, I almost changed the channel. I almost changed the channel when they showed again. I mean, it was just, it was raw in 1993 or 94, whatever year that was. I guess it was 93. It was raw in 93, and it's raw now, as me as a 46-year-old dude. Um, so, yeah, I'm still, okay, let me just calm down. This is a George podcast. <laughs> George and Dave podcast. Let me just calm down. But I'll say this, and I should have shared since you're a big Bulls fan. Um, who do you blame the most? For the breakup, like I still blame Jerry Krause, Jerry Krause. because he made that infamous players don't win championships. Organizations do, but I would like I didn't, to blame more Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, because he could have overruled Krause and kept Phil Jackson for another year. He could have kept the team together because one thing we were robbed of as fans is the fact that we never get got to see who who. who were to knock off those Bulls teams. That, that I mean, Michael uh, that Jordan, we, we didn't, you know. Jordan didn't want to pass a torch. Like, yes, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You, you, as a champion, you should be given the chance to 
defend your title, but at the same time, this is Michael Jordan we're talking about here, the ultimate competitor, uber competitor, and, and to be honest with you, I still I, I still err on the side of LeBron as a better basketball player than Jordan was. Jordan, the ultimate competitor here, isn't going to want to pass the torch. Like, he goes into a finals and loses. He, he might put on yes, a smile for the cameras and this, that, and the other thing, but Jordan don't want to do that. Like this was the best way that <laughs> that it could end for for that Bulls quote unquote dynasty was for them to win the last one and then just be done with it because again they don't want to lose. So this way they can go down in history and say, yeah, six and zero, oh, we never lost. Right, because that's right. the biggest argument I mean, anybody that makes for, for Michael Jordan being the greatest of all time. Well, six and zero. Oh. Okay, you 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 are correct there. Jordan never gave himself the opportunity to lose his three peat title. I don't I don't know. There there's a whole big to do about it and being a Bulls fan, I'm very happy we got the six titles. I'm very glad that I can say, you know, six and zero in the finals in the nineties. We ruled the nineties, but at the same time, man, I'm I'm twenty nine years old. I was born in nineteen ninety one. The first basketball game I ever sat down and watched front to back was 01, uh, was game one of the 01 finals. So I missed all this. You know what I mean? Like I'm watching this documentary and it's all, it's all quote unquote new to me. I mean, I, I've seen most of the, you know, public domain footage, but everything else, all that's new to me. So it's, I, I don't claim, I can't claim to be, you know what I mean? Any, any sort of expert or any sort of, super fan when it comes to 90s Bulls because I I just plain wasn't there. And I'm not like somebody right. else who's going to claim, oh, well, this was us, this was us. Man, I wasn't there for it. Yeah, so, I remember that's those just my two cents on it. Because I was, I was, I was um, kind of I'm sorry, Kevin, go, go ahead, bud. Yeah, I was just going to say, I want to make a, a, a point about Krause. I just want I didn't want to butt in there. Um no, I'm, I'm slightly I'm slightly older than Jared, and so I remember the last two Bulls championships, and that's when I became a, a Stockton uh, to Malone fan and a Utah Jazz fan just to be different. Um, yeah. So <laughs> um, I'm glad that I got to experience that. I'm actually looking forward to uh, probably the finale when they finally get to the Jazz series and I can see Malone and Stockton interviews. But uh, uh, I digress. I think that uh, Krause's biggest fault uh, – is is probably that he was always looking for the next thing, um, and I think I think that's highlighted and hinted at, and uh, both overtly and in subtle ways in the documentary. Um, you know, at in '98 he's looking for the next era of bull stars because everybody's in their mid 30s, um, and right. you know, biological clocks are ticking. Right, and so we see then the baby bull era that ended up not working out for a litany of reasons, but he had there, there was some talent there, but. Uh, you know, for him, even even with Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson was Phil Jackson was the next to Doug Collins. He he was handpicked by uh, Kraus to come into the organization, and then he was uh, placed on Collins' staff, and then essentially Kraus kind of you know groomed him in the background um, to, to take over as the head coach. And that was side note. That was cool just to see the the hippie. Uh, you know, life and background of, of the Zen master and him coaching in South America and, and his background. But 
again, he's handpicked by Kraus, and now, and then in 98, he's already kind of starting to groom Floyd to take over for him and, and saying, like, you can win 82 games, but you're going to be out of here. So I think that that was Kraus's biggest fault, um, but uh, I think also a strength. Um, I mean, we saw what it ended up building eventually. It, he had eyes on a guy like Tony Kukoc, who ended up being instrumental in those second three uh, championships that they won. And um, despite the grudge that Jordan and Pippen had against him initially because Kraus was so enamored with him as being the future of the Bulls. Yeah. The, big, the yeah, biggest you know thing with Kraus that I've noticed is he is being being short man, being little man, he kind of had a Napoleon syndrome. But at the same time, it was like he's he was the kind of guy that saw himself who deserved more praise and adulation for what he did. But in in all honesty, he didn't get enough credit for it, but he felt he deserved more and was always chasing that more credit. Oh, it wasn't Michael that made these things happen. It was me. So that was, that's the biggest problem with Krause is he, and, and rest him. He's not here to defend himself. And that's the one, one gripe I have with all this is Krause isn't here to lend his two cents. Right. Yeah. I mean, because he, you know, God rest his soul. He, he, he died, what, late last year or something like that? Was it middle last year? I forgot. It, was, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I think it was, either, yeah. I think it was I mean, 2018 or, yeah. Oh, it was a couple of years ago. I knew it wasn't that long ago. But, um, the way, yeah, to your point, guys, the open disdain, that open the blatant disrespect that Jordan and Pippen, like, like threw at, at, at Kraus. In public, in front of him, as if he wasn't oh. there. That was just astounding to me how much they hated that guy. I mean, it's just – it was that was just – that was crazy to see as well. But overall, dude, this has been – even though I, I'm not the biggest Jordan fan, as you went to Carolina, I went to NC State, his Bulls kept my next win chip. And also, you know, I'm just bitter like that. But this has been a fascinating <laughs> documentary up to this point. And I'm eager to see the, the other half of the series, uh, particularly to your point, uh, Kevin, wanted to see the Utah part. Probably, that'll probably take two parts because they face each other twice. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, and focus on the second three-peat. That would be cool to see as well. So a lot of this is, is memory lane for me. I'm the old guy. So a lot of this stuff I remember from college. And but, uh, you know, point being, this is very fascinating and well done. Well done by you. One question before we finish for you, Scott. What's that? One question before we finish. Speaking about the uh, Utah oh, yeah. Jazz, the, the, the Jazz part coming yeah. up, was the flu game a flu or was he hungover? I guess they'll cover that. <laughs> I guess they'll cover that. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I, I want to – you know what? It would be funny as hell if he was really hungover and they lied about it. But that's going to be fascinating to cover because there's questions. There are questions, to your point. You know, there are plenty of questions about that. But one thing, right, like, like real quick, I want to end on, too, is that a lot of people, like, the conspiracy theory about why he walked away after this first repeat was because yeah. he um, because he was serving a suspension for gambling, a sense mm-hmm. of gambling, and they didn't want to come public with it. That was a huge rumor for those who like to wear tinfoil hats. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I would like to see how they're going to cover the, the uh, flu game. To your point, Jared, 
Was, did he really have the flu or was he hungover as hell? And he liked to have a good time. So yeah. it's interesting to see if they if, if, if they um, do that. I want to see him admit so. it. I would. I would. That would be the pinnacle <laughs> of the show is if he were to admit that it wasn't the flu. <laughs> He's like, yeah, dude, I was real hungry. That's not going to happen. He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a part of his legacy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would take that to my grave for him, but, yeah, that would be fun to see. Um, yo, let's um, get into this part. Like, we all know what I mentioned earlier, and you guys know, this week would have been the first week of the NBA playoffs. And, you know, it sucks that we don't have an NBA playoffs. Um, but it is what it is. Um, but right now, like, like, uh, and and this is Jared, uh, you know, I want to give credit to a Jared for this because it wasn't my idea. I wasn't smart enough to think about this, but have like the best of as far as superstars that we know and love, like, uh, the best of Tim Duncan. We decided on do the best of Tim Duncan, Tim Duncan's best, one of his best performances in the playoffs. And we chose the 2003 NBA finals game six. And what's interesting about that, fellas, is that, you know, Tim Duncan, this is how, I mean, he averaged for the series 24.8 points, 16.4 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and 4.8 blocks. He became the MVP of the series. And, you know, in this being the most NBA superstar of all time, there's a few things, there's a few things like in the background of this happening. First, this is David Robertson's final game. Um, this is his swan song. Um, and Duncan in this game also scored 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and eight blocks. And it could be argued that he was robbed of two blocks in the second half. Mm-hmm. Hey. Yeah, I think he was. Um, but we'll get into that later. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he did he did up those, uh, the assists and the blocks with the that phenomenal final game. He upped his averages for the series to – to over five assists and five blocks and 17 boards a game. For a man yeah. that averaged so four assists in the season. Yeah. Yeah. Dude had like 10 assists in, the, in, the, in that game six. But there's one there's other thing that we, that, that we all know and love is that how boring the NBA series was, the series was. I mean, this was the lowest rated series in quite a while. Like it was, it was like oh. one of the lowest rated series. Like, but I think the first one, like, was it eight straight quarters without scoring twenty points? Yeah. Uh, and something the, like that, but but like like but thing is, the Nets never broke eighty. What was it? They never broke ninety points in the series. Right, I think eighty nine. Yeah, they never broke eighty nine. Yeah, and so and so, but that was normal because by then again, you could play football in the NBA. I mean, defense was. At a premium, right? I mean, you could you could hand check the man that made it for boring brand of basketball. So looking at this on YouTube again a couple of nights ago, and again last night, I was I was like bored to tears again. <laughs> I kept look, I kept a tally. I kept a tally of three pointers that were passed up by quarter. Would you like my tally marks? Oh please, please do have some excitement. First quarter, there were eight of them. This is just combined between the two teams, too. There were eight pass-up threes in the first. There were six mm-hmm. in the second, five in the third, and four in the fourth. And this is just like, you know, 
not necessarily ones that like a James Harden or somebody would chuck up. These are just three-pointers that if they had this shot in today's NBA, if you didn't they take it, it, you'd be looked at like you were stupid. Yeah. And they just well, kept passing up. I mean, it, it, oh, sorry. It, I was going to say, Kerry Kittle's used. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, he, I was going to say, Kerry Kittle's was one of the best three-point shooters in the league by reputation back then. He only took six threes in the final, uh, and, or excuse me, in game six here, and made two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. There were so, threes were not something that was thought of. Well, yeah, that's why the game was boring. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is on the first quarter. It was 25 to 17. I mean, granted, New Jersey led most away for the final quarter, but still, 25 to 17, both teams shot. They didn't crack 40% from the field. In addition to all the passive shots. It was just mm-hmm. boring brand of basketball. So, basically, Tim Duncan scored a line share of the 17 points. So, if it weren't for Tim Duncan, they would have been belonging to Jim earlier in, in, in game six. But, um, first of all, Jared, since we're talking about it now, give me your thoughts and highlights of, of the first quarter of how Tim Duncan's contributions and or whatever stuff was going on that's noteworthy and this close-out, what turned up in this close-out game for the, uh, for the uh, Spurs. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. Like the first, second, and third quarters weren't. There was no excitement to them at all. Like I mean, like you yeah. said, at the, at the end of the first, it was twenty-five to seventeen, and then you get at the end of the at halftime, it's forty-one to thirty-eight, New Jersey. Going into the fourth, it's right. sixty-three to fifty-seven. Like that's halftime now. That's a halftime. Like there, there was just, there, there was just no action. It was just such a defensive slog and it's like you, you you watch the game and you can pref I can preface this entire conversation by saying at any point in this game if everybody would literally just take one large step backwards toward the three point line <laughs> the game would open up and it would be so much better. Right. Right. Um right. So like in the first quarter the only like the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me in the first quarter wasn't necessarily Duncan's mm-hmm. performance so much as it was Robinson. In the first five minutes, he has two blocks. He's playing all-world defense. And for somebody that didn't really get to see too much of David Robinson, I, like I asked you the other day, what's a good comp for him? Yeah. And you said a, yeah. a stronger Kevin Garnett, and you're right. Yeah. Like he was just – even 13, 14 years into the league, he still has some pretty good athleticism and defense ages well. And I, I didn't know he was that good on defense. Yeah, he was great. Dude was great in his prime. He was great in his prime. He was one of the most unsung superstars of that time because he was overshadowed by Ewing, Elijah Wan, Jordan, Jordan of course, Barkley, Carl Malone. He was he was overshadowed by those guys. But he was he was great. He was he was so great and underappreciated. I, I thought so. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you you got a chance to see that. And if you guys want to do some, uh, what, like, uh, want to see some, some real cool stuff, YouTube is is highlights a game from the uh, early '90s, well, the mid '90s, when he was in his prime. That'll make your jaws drop because he was crazy athletic for such a for a seven footer to be that athletic. I mean, it was just, it was a sight to see. But, um, yeah. Speaking I mean, of I the athletic, the man, I didn't realize how athletic Richard Jefferson was. He could get Oh, yeah. Up. He was a man. 
He was a yeah, dude. I, I remember that. He was a bad I remember boy. Jefferson he was a being able boy. to jump through. I think we, we we remember Jefferson now after his 17-year career, whatever it was, as, you know, an old guy, spot-up shooter. But, yeah, I remember when he was young coming out of Arizona, he could jump through the, you know, through the – I mean, it was insane. Yeah. He carried New Jersey all those years, you know, with, with Jason Kidd and Kenya Martin, who, mm-hmm. you know, people forget yeah. how – underappreciated Kenya Martin. Yeah. I mean, he could, he had a good shot. He, could, he was very athletic. He was a defensive monster. And he was an enforcer, you know, but he was a very skilled enforcer. Mm-hmm. So he was a big Andy, Andy was super emotional. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> but he had, he had his worst game of the finals in game six, Martin did. And I actually yeah, – that's something I put in my notes is, uh, you know, as, as talented as Martin was, you see the juxtaposition with him and Duncan being the two forwards on the court where Duncan, you know, is poised and under control. And then early in the game, you see Malik Rose kind of look intentionally trying to antagonize Martin, get under his skin. And uh, I think, right. I think that, yeah, they, I think they drew a tie. They might've drawn a technical foul. If I remember, um, he did. Just, the technical you know, was on Martin, Byron. Martin just uh, cool in that. And, uh, but yeah, so I just remember being like, yeah, he's got talent, but you see, you see where the difference is between him and Duncan where Duncan plays the entire game under control. Uh, there's like one point in the in the second quarter where the I think I remember the Brad that Nessler saying my... that's that's as intense as you're going to see Tim Duncan, and he he just got like did maybe like a slight flex going up for a three point when he when he got fouled and had a three point opportunity. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that that juxtaposition between Duncan and Martin was something that I noted during the game. Um. Yeah. You know, I think that he said something about Tim Duncan's mama. He's just still, he was, he's still just, just like, <laughs> like okay, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just, I'm just gonna score some buckets and just get mm-hmm. my chance. He just, he's one of those. Is there a quieter way to get twenty-one, twenty, ten, and eight? Um. Apparently not. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> really, it was such a bad game. It was just an, it was just an ugly game to watch. Mm-hmm. That's that's what got me, man. I forgot how ugly that game was. I mean, if New Jersey had a little bit of offense, if guys wouldn't pass up shots to your point, Jared, uh, Jared, and uh, and Keon Martin, if he didn't, if he didn't play, if he didn't lose his head earlier, they would have blown the Spurs out the gym. The Spurs didn't have he's a, but I mean, here's a question I they didn't give up quarter. Here's a question I have: What right. whatever happened to that uh, that Tom yeah. Tolbert guy? The one, part of the broadcast you know, team, Tom I, Tolbert. I missed the just disappeared, and I forgot to Google him after that. <laughs> he because he had he had some gems talking about the Nets offense. I just wrote down some of the quotes he had during the game. He said their shooting has been as sour as milk with an expiration date of June 1894, and then he yeah. said their numbers. Uh, and then he followed that up with their numbers are up there with gasoline and Mexican food as all time vomit inducers. Yeah, it was he was good. We needed more of him. Yeah. Yeah. And then but but him and Bill Walton on the same broadcast. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> yeah. hey, it was cool to get it was cool to get an appearance from Stuart cool. Scott too. Yeah, yeah. He was a he was a he was the uh he was a sideline guy, I think, in that series. Uh, so those qualified, yeah. 
Yeah, the three personalities on the same broadcast in one form or another. That was that was hilarious. Yeah. That was that was hilarious. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Let's see with uh Eight ten left in the third. I had a quote from Bill Walton. He said, "Duncan and Robinson are the only two Spurs that are playing worth a darn out here." Oh yeah, and and they followed that up with the graphic that showed that Duncan and Duncan and Robinson had twenty seven points, and the rest of the team had twenty four. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, but you know, they didn't come alive to obviously the fourth quarter because remember they right. trailed the first of the entire game into the fourth quarter. Right, because when New Jersey was up seventy two to sixty three, you figure, okay, we're gonna have a game. So I was watching this. I remember watching this this game, unfortunately, because it was so ugly. But I was remember thinking to myself, oh shit, we're gonna have a game seven, because the way New Jersey controlled the game, right, up to that point. Mm-hmm. But when they went up seventy two to sixty three, the San Antonio Spurs went on, I think, if not mistaken, a nineteen to nothing run. Right. I have I have the entire fourth quarter qu- kind of written down if you want to hear it. Yeah, go ahead, please. All right, so Jason Kidd hits back-to-back two-pointers to put them up by 10. All right? So that puts uh right. that puts New Jersey up 69 to 59. Ginobili gets a steal and has a fast break dunk that puts the Nets up 69-63. Then, you know, Captain Jack, Stephen Jackson comes in and drills Two three-pointers um, to go. The first one makes it 72-70. The second one makes it 72-73. to um, Speedy Claxton comes in and hits a jumper to make it 77-72. Captain Jack hits another three, 80-72. And the one thing I was curious about throughout this entire run, it's a 19-to-nothing run. Like, they're just on fire. And New Jersey is not calling a timeout. And I'm sitting here wondering why Byron Scott, of all coaches, isn't calling a timeout. They only had one 30-second timeout left because he had burnt them all in the third quarter. That was the right. biggest thing. And then, and then at one point, and then after the uh, kid makes a two-pointer to uh, kind of stop the bleeding, the very next possession, New Jersey comes down. Kittles gets uh, – was it? I think it was Bruce Bowen. I didn't write down who it was gets them to do a flyby on his three, and he goes up completely uncontested and misses it. And that would have made the game 77 to 82 with like two minutes, two and a half minutes left. That's a little bit more surmountable than 74 to 82. Yeah. So that, that's, that's so how the fourth quarter went. It just, it, Captain Jack comes in and puts through nine points real quick, and it's just, it's, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy who started up the game really playing really terribly, he got his ass got ganked three minutes into the game because he right. threw away two bad passes and took a terrible shot. It was his first three minutes, and he ends up being a hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we would have had a game seven. I mean, San Antonio was playing that poorly, and New Jersey came out a bit inspired, albeit offensively challenged, but they came out inspired. And, yeah, I still don't know to why to this day that Byron Scott did not call a timeout and miss that run. I, I still don't understand why. He did I mean, not. do you burn your last 30-second timeout with five minutes left in the game? Yeah. That's your last that timeout. So, I mean, I guess I understand, but you got to stop Scott, the bleeding to, at some point. Scott, just to quickly speak to your point of how bad Steven Jackson was early in the game, 
If you if you just go back and yeah. look at the box score for the game, he was one of three Spurs who had a turnover percentage for the game over 30%. Tony Parker and uh, Malik Rose wow. were the other two. Um, Steven Jackson, his turnover percentage was 31.6. His box plus minus at the end of the game, despite hitting all those the flurry of threes in the fourth and, and ultimately being a big reason why they won it, his box plus minus was still in the negatives at the end of the game at negative 2.4. So he, he really wow. came alive late. Yeah, and um, but yeah, Ginobili, uh, his uh, turnover percentage wasn't as bad, but Ginobili had to have one of the worst games he had ever had. Uh, for his his career right. also. I mean, you look at his shooting percentage, which was just awful um, for the game. Free throw percentage wasn't good. He, Ginobili played terrible. It's, it's funny to, to watch the game because that was a, a key thing for me. You look at David Robinson, you look at Tim Duncan, they're both Hall of Famers, and they put the spurs on their shoulders and kept them afloat for most of that game until uh, Jackson and Claxton came alive in the fourth. Um, but you look at the other guys that are now – probably going to be Hall of Famers from that team. Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili, both very young at that time and inexperienced, yeah. and they were they were terrible. Like, they were awful. Um, well, so it's funny to see. Most of the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. Um, just, uh, just to add what Jared went through with the uh, – going through the fourth there, um, the turning point I wrote down was the 651 left. Duncan kind of had this back-to-back-to-back um, – series of plays where it impacts the game. So it's 6.51 left. He gets his seventh block. The Spurs are still down two. Uh, he sets the record, um, breaking uh, Scott, your Knicks, Patrick Ewing's record of 30 blocks in the finals. He mm-hmm. sets a new record with 31. I don't know if that still stands. I, I, um, but then on the other end, so immediately in the, on the offensive possessions, that's when he gets the first his first assist to Jackson, and Jackson hits the first of his big threes. And, um yep. You know, Spurs get their their big lead then with 6:30 or the first lead, excuse me, first lead in the entire game with 6:34 remaining. Um, then on the defensive end, Duncan gets another board, um, comes down, and I'm not sure if he got an assist on this play. I think he did. But he passes low to Robinson, and um, Robinson uh, took a minute to get up, but got a, ba- a bucket. So uh, we just yeah, see Duncan impacting. Yeah, we see Duncan impacting the game just in multiple ways and multiple levels on in back to back to back to back possessions. Um and that was that was the turning yeah. point. That's when the Spurs kinda um, you know, put their foot on the gas, so to speak, and never looked back. The coolest thing to see I mean, in this entire in this entire game was Duncan pulled down a rebound and he missed it. he 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 goes on to miss this shot, but he pulls down a rebound, runs the break and he's being guarded by, of all people, Dikembe Mutombo. He he sits there and he does a he does a between the legs dribble. He dribbles him, sizes him up, and then he lifts up for the shot. He misses it, but it's like Tim Duncan could do that. And most people don't remember that before before the knee injuries kind of sapped away his athleticism. Boy was athletic. Yeah, I remember him at Wake Forest, dude. He did a lot of that at Wake Forest. Um, he would he would run the break. He he like go between his legs, shake and bake. He was he was a, that's why he was a, even though he was a seven footer, he was a true power forward. He was so nimble. I mean, he was quick. I mean, he was a former swimmer. That's how lean mm-hmm. athletic he was. I mean, he was he was easy. He was smooth. And so I, that's why I just uh, he's just great. I mean, it, it's a shame. It's cool to see him going to the Hall of Fame with of all people Kevin Garnett. <laughs> I mean, there were two contemporaries and rivals, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's to see to see Tim Duncan play 
and just reminisce and watch game six of the 2003 finals, you know, people tend to forget how great he was. And, mm-hmm. you know, even albeit in an ugly-ass game six of that finals, it's still good to see how his impact was felt all on both ends of the court, particularly in the fourth quarter, because that was saved their bacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put yeah, down that in my notes. I, I think the reason we forget um, it's because when you watch him play, he kind of lulls, he, he like lulls defenders to him, and then he'll kick to teammates. Uh, Bill Walton mentioned in the game, he, he knows exactly when to throw the ball before the defense gets there. Uh, he's never panicked. Yep. He, moved, he moved and positioned himself so well, and then his length allowed him to go up and rebound at the highest point, and it looked so effortless. Um, and then I, I said the reason um, what made him so great but then also, in a way, forgettable is that nothing about his game was ever emphatic. You know, like there was he, – he played with such poise and so under control at all times, um, whereas I think as fans, we like, we like it when Jordan stuck his tongue out on dunks. We like it when LeBron flexes. We like it when, you know, Curry chucks his mouthpiece into the crowd. But that no, – no, like Tim Duncan didn't have an ounce of that in his body – and that's why I said nothing about him was emphatic, but um, just an incredible talent all the way around. Duncan just perpetually acted like he had been there before. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. He was so cool under pressure, too. Never too, never too emotional, never, never lost his poise. He was just, mm-hmm. again, I could be at the point and say something about his mama. He just go about his business and drop another 50, 15, 20 points and 10 boards. I mean, he was that he was that even kill. I mean, nothing could mm-hmm. rattle. Nothing could rattle. And he put in work. Up until the time he retired, he put in work. To your guys' point about the poise and everything, in game six of the finals, you go down by 10 and you haven't led all game, and you go down by 10 in the fourth quarter. It takes your best player having that kind of poise and not losing, like, losing his emotions or losing any bit of control for the entire team to rally around and for Steven Jackson to hit three threes and for Speedy Claxton right. to come in and just be everything that Tony Parker was supposed to be. Like, it, it, it starts at the top, and it started at this point with Duncan because of, as, great as, as great as David Robinson was, at this point, this was Tim Duncan's team. Oh, yeah. Right. I think I think one thing that was cool to note, um, just real quick, is um, just how mm-hmm. how intelligent he was and the way he would adjust in situations throughout the game. When they had Kmart on him early, like he was going high off the glass over Caden Martin all day, easy. <laughs> and then uh, they put Matumbo in, and that's when he starts hitting all those jumpers at the top of the circle. He was like, "Well, okay, you got Matumbo on me." not going to be as easy down low, but I can step back and he's not going to chase me out here and I'll knock these down all day. Um, and just, so just knowing every time. Right. And just knowing those situations and knowing how to adjust his game as to who is defending him. Um, just an incredibly intelligent player. Yeah. I've got written I mean, down in that's, my that's... notes three simple words, Duncan, and then the vision, just the, just the, being able to see where he needs to pass to, who he needs to pass to, and, and all the adjustments that you just spoke to. Like, just his entire – his vision of the entire game as a whole, it's almost like he had a bird's-eye view of it the entire time. Mm-hmm. We kind of did at 7'1". 
<laughs> yeah. But it's basketball, yeah, I, I see what you did there, Kevin. But uh, it, 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 his IQ, his basketball IQ was off the charts. I mean, mm-hmm. the way he impacted the game, that game six, again, with both ends of the floor, making the right plays, allowing the score to basketball, it was great. It was awesome to see. And that rescued San Antonio out of that ugly game six. I mean, they scored 31 points in the, fourth, in the final quarter to score to end up with 88 points for the game. It was 88 to 77. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, that's a third quarter score. Or some teams have time scores nowadays, but still. I mean, that was just, that was an ugly game. I was mad watching this game. It was, it was an ugly game. <laughs> Although it made, that, it made that 19-0 run all that much better. Right. Right. Because it just came out of nowhere. But still, yeah. I just can't believe. Byron's got it, but anyway, it's not, that's not here nor there. Uh, let's, that, that was fun, guys, but let's, let's get you guys out on this. I meant to ask you guys this question earlier, and, Jared, I'll let you go first with this one. Would it, are we going to see the NBA finish this season, or is this a wash at this point? Is a wrap at this point? Oh, God, I don't know. I The, the <clears throat> optimist in me really, really wants to say yes, we'll see something. But the pessimist in me just I, – I, I don't know. I, re, I really don't know. The, my, my most pressing question is, what was it like for you guys to go back and see Ginobili with hair? <laughs> weird. That was weird to see. For a guy who doesn't have hair himself, that was weird to see. Uh, <laughs> it looked like hair. I've got what it looked, looked, he looked like with a full set of hair. That was the funny part. Yeah. But to to answer your question, to answer your question of all the things that I've heard uh, that's that that have been thrown around, the only one that I can see being remotely feasible would be the Disney World plan. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but basically creating a bubble in Disney for all the teams to go to and maybe bring their families and stuff like that, and then playing down there. That's the only one I can see that's feasible. Yeah. Because it's weird. It's going to be weird to see them play about their fans because it takes away from the, you know, the atmosphere, the, 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 the intensity, the emotion. I mean, a playoff basketball. I mean, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, a, I'm more pessimistic than you, bro. I don't, I don't know how it could happen. And I'm sad to say that. I'm sad to, to, to say those words. Because this was shaping out to be a very exciting postseason. I mean, LeBron found a fountain of youth in this way. How many years has it been? 17th, 18th year, 17th year? And, um, oh, you know, oh, three. Both, both L.A. teams playing well. And, you know, what's going on with Milwaukee, Toronto still hanging in there, being the heart of a champion, the heart of a champion. You know, Boston playing well. Um that all of those fascinating um, um, storylines circling around. I, I I was looking forward to the Western Conference Finals, the Battle of L.A. And I was just and looking forward to the Western mm-hmm. Conference Playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just afraid that we won't see it. It's, it's, it's breaking my heart. It really is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Kevin, what do you think, bro? Um, I, I definitely – I think I'm in the middle of you two. I think it would be hard um, – I'm not completely pessimistic, but I think it would be hard because you've got to give guys, 
you figure you got to give guys at least a little bit of time to get back in shape. And, you know, I've been watching ESPN exactly. even with no no exactly. sports on. And, um, you know, they've been talking about, oh, you know, the NBA hasn't canceled any games yet. And there's a part of me that's like, if it's going to happen, I feel like we just have to say, hey, where teams were when this happened, that's it. That's that's where we're at. We're right. moving to the playoffs. Right. The rest yeah. of you guys right. that didn't make it, so, sorry you didn't get that last month to get a run at an eighth spot or a seventh spot or whatever. Um, I know that that sucks, but, yeah. hey, your summer starts early. Um, and, like, let's just go ahead and start in the playoffs. And I was talking to my uh, brother-in-law the other day, and maybe you guys know more, uh, can speak to this more than I can. I can't remember where the Cavs were ranked when they went to the finals the last time. Um, I think they were in the top four, but I was like, when was the last time a team that wasn't in the top four made it to the NBA finals? How long has it been since that's happened? Is there a way, like, what if, like, what if we just said, all right, top four teams, uh, start with the, you know, just go, from each conference, start from there rather than taking eight from each conference, just to even try yeah, to make it even more feasible. That kicks out, like, Philly and stuff like that. And, I mean, yeah, Philly's been horrible on the road, but I'm being – I I get where you're coming from. It's just – it's difficult right. one way or the other. And and I think that if they, if they did that, people would always say that maybe this isn't a legitimate champion. Um, I think the, what does give me hope is the postponement of the draft and the postponement of the lottery um, – if they if there wasn't at least some optimism in the league office that they could get some kind of um, a playoff in, why or even some regular season games, why postpone those things? Um, so I don't know. The, the LeBron fanboy in me really wants him to finish the season because like, he's getting up there, and I'm like, man, you're only going to have so many more years to get closer to six because he's at least got to get closer to six if I'm going to have any argument when he retires, right? So, right. One last thing I want to say to both of you because you know I like my weird numbers and statistics, right? Yeah, sure. So in the finals, there have been six players that had a 20.20 rebound triple-double. Those are Kareem, Wilt, Bill Russell, Dave Cohens, KG, and of course, Tim Duncan. It's pretty rarefied air. Now, I have this is a question for both of you. There have been 38 yes, triple doubles all in all in NBA Finals history. Numbers one and two with ten. Who do you think is first place in NBA history that owns ten of the 38? Magic Johnson. Magic. Nope. He has LeBron. eight. Oh wow. LeBron. Wow. Yeah. LeBron I knew that has at some point. Magic has eight. Who's that? LeBron I mean, has I knew 10, they, I knew Magic they were up there. Eight, so. Oh, yeah, of course they were going to be one and two. Basically, was it like LeBron just had the most triple-doubles? I missed that. Okay, right. there have been 38 triple-doubles in finals history. LeBron James by right. himself has 10 of them. Okay, gotcha. Okay. It makes sense. And Magic has Especially eight of them. Wow. So 18 out of what? Over, a little over 30? Hair over 30? 38. That's pretty cool. 38. 38 mm-hmm. guys. So, yeah, that's over half. They have over oh, Almost half. Almost half. Not over half. Almost half. We put it two of them. I'm curious. Who are the other? Who's three and four on that list? I didn't dig any farther. 
Oh, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> but well, the, the reason point. I stopped so, at those me, two is because I know your favorite player is Magic, and I know Kevin's is LeBron. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good way to pose it, right? So, at least the guy's guessing. Uh, but let me ask you guys one more question on this. I, I know I lied when I said I um, – is because yeah on, on that other question, the previous question about what the, else do we have to do? We're coming back. Well, there you go. Um, do you does what did the documentary for either of you reinforce or or convince you that Michael Jordan was is a goat, or are you still like me holding on to Magic Johnson as a goat, or I guess the Kevin case still holding on to LeBron James as a goat? I'll let you to go first. Doesn't matter. Kevin, you um, go ahead. I think, yeah, I think for me, just I mean, you guys know me. I have such an Ohio sports bias. Um, it's hard to yeah. it's hard to let that it's hard to let that go. I mean, I, I I'm fine admitting my biases. Um, I think one thing for me is um, is just seeing how much Jordan did struggle early in his career and struggled to and then climb that mountain. Um, that he had to, and um, but I don't, I don't want to fault him for that. But I know I can, I just, I'll, I always come back to those. Well, LeBron never lost in the first round, and um, and I, I, I don't know. I, there's such different eras, also. I mean, we talked about how different the style of play is in 2020 compared to uh, 2003. So you know, you got to go back even farther to get to Michael Jordan. Um, so I think that's hard. There's also a part of me though, that, um, ever since Kobe's death, I'm like, you know, I, I hated on Kobe for so many years because I was a LeBron guy and you had to fight, you know, that was just what people did that I'm just like, man, like, let's just appreciate all of them. You know, they're both up there. Um, if, if I have to, if I have to still pick one just because of my bias, I'm going to go with LeBron. I'm going to throw out, oh, he's never lost in the first round. I'm going to throw out who he played with when he pulled, you know, that Ira Newble and Danielle Marshall until finals against the Spurs. And he pulled, he had to go with wow. Delhi and Moscow against the Warriors and, you know, still looked superhuman despite having such an ill-supporting cast. And um, whereas Jordan was playing alongside one of the greatest players ever throughout, you know, all six of his final runs. So, um, I don't, I don't want to, but I don't want to make it sound like I'm knocking Jordan either. He was awesome, and I think they're sure. they're they're both goats in my book at this point. Do you remember right. Kevin when we were having this conversation on air, and I was talking about who I would compare Jordan to in today's NBA? Yeah, you said uh, Demar Derozan. Yeah, I I I need to rescind what? that. Oh man! I think I so did. I think I, at the time I argued that Jordan would amend his game to play, to play in the style of, of 2020 play. But yeah, go ahead, sorry, Jared. I th- it, that's just it. I think you're right. That's that. I think is the one thing in all of this that I really took for granted, or I guess was more ignorant to than anything, was that competitive drive. And if he had to learn how to shoot a three. He, he'd have figured it out. He'd have spent a summer and he'd have figured it out. So at this point, uh, greatest of all time is, I still don't know. I'm kind of with you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still going to beat my drum on LeBron as the better player of the two because I just feel like LeBron 
just the sheer size of him. And I know Jordan right. was six six. I know he was big, but LeBron was bigger. He was bigger and he was more athletic when they were both in their prime. He could do more things in his prime than Jordan could. And post-prime LeBron and post-prime Jordan, post-prime LeBron can, is, is a five-tool player in basketball. He can shoot. He can do all of it. So I, LeBron might be the better player, but the, as far as the greatest of all time, you're talking 1A and 1B at this point. Yeah, I hear. You. Yeah, I like to say, My, I, I like to say it's Babe Ruth and Willie Mays. That's what I like to say. Yeah, yeah. Who's better, Babe Ruth or Willie Mays? They're both they're both phenomenal. You can pick apart their games. Some Babe Ruth did some things better than Willie Mays. Willie Mays did some things better than Babe Ruth. Yeah, Ruth was more power. Mays had a better uh, better glove in the in the outfield. So it's like like you just said, one did one thing better, one did the other thing better. So who, who's to say? Well, I'll say this. It's it's great. It was a joy to watch them both play, Um, you know, particularly Michael Jordan in his prime and, of course, LeBron in his prime. I'm I'm the old guy. I keep saying I'm the old guy because I am. But I I still (laughs) – I'm stubborn. My 1A and 1BR, and I hate hate the team that they play for with passion. They're they're, they're both Magic and Kareem. In my opinion, they're 1A and 1B just because – they were so dominant in their in their heyday, you know, they were teammates. Mm-hmm. But I, I give Jordan props. I give LeBron major props. And, you know, maybe maybe one of these days Le- LeBron will have his own series, but uh, who the hell knows. But um, I'll be looking forward to next weekend as are you two and most of most sports fans out there because, hell, it's really gives us something to look forward to with this dark dirt of, of live sports events <laughs> going on. So, but You're hey, not staying up for one morning to watch Korean baseball? I am. Oh, I'm, I took a hard <laughs> pass with that. I'm, I'm a hard no, pass I, I, it's baseball. Hey, but, hey. Yeah. Hey, like, guys, let's do this again next week, man. Let's pull out the, uh, the, the greatest, the best of some superstars. We'll, we'll talk about it early, early next week. And let's keep this going because this was, this was hella fun. This was hella fun. So, and of course, we'll oh, talk about all of you guys. But, uh, yeah, so this this has been great, dude. Let's keep this up the entire month, man, during the NBA playoffs. Yeah, what would have been the NBA? Good. Yes, all right. Take care, guys. Those are my guys. All right, take care, Scott. Have a good one. All right, take care, guys. That's my guy, my guys, Kevin McCune and Jared Singleton, both of the Weekend Adjustment Sports Talk Show on WMOH 1450, the ticket here in Ohio. Actually, um, I should say Hamilton, and more specifically, right outside of Cincinnati. But thank y'all for tuning in. This is Scott Burke with the Clown Hour. Take care. Stay home. Stay safe. Until next time, 06. Peace.